We open the Holy Scriptures to Exodus chapter 10. The proverb, which is our text, focuses on the little creature called the locust. Exodus 10 contains what is possibly the Bible's best known story involving the locusts. Namely, the eighth plague that God sent on Egypt, which was the largest locust swarm this world has ever seen. So in connection with our text in Proverbs, we're going to read about the eighth plague, Exodus 10, verses 1 through 20, before turning to Proverbs 30. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the heart of his servants, that I might show these these my signs before him. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the, of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which, ne- which neither thy fathers nor thy fathers' fathers have seen, since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons, and with our daughters, with our flocks, and with our herds, will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. Not so, go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they, 
Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall there shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land, and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees, or in the herbs of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. Let's turn from that history in Exodus to our text, Proverbs 30, verse 27. Proverbs 30, 27. The locusts have no king, yet go they forth, all of them, by bands. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. As we go through those four little creatures, the third and the fourth get a little more challenging in interpreting the significance of them for the church and the lessons of wisdom that can be gathered. Yet, this proverb is in the Bible. Because we are persuaded that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for our instruction. The Bible is clear. That doesn't mean that every single verse is equally clear. This verse and the one Lord willing we consider next week are somewhat challenging. And yet nonetheless God has inspired them and placed them in the scriptures. So that even these last of the four little creatures that we look at have something to teach us as God's people. And the Spirit giving us eyes to see it, we will find nuggets of biblical wisdom in these Proverbs yet. And so today we come to the third of these four creatures that are little yet exceeding wise. Hopefully you children remember the first two that we've looked at and what they teach us. The ant, the tiny ant, which teaches us wisdom in this way. That we as God's people are to be active and hardworking as the ant is. Not only in earthly things, but especially in spiritual things. And last week we looked at the conies that are housed in the rocks. And the important lesson there for us is that we as God's people are weak of ourselves and must always flee to our God who is our rock and our refuge, especially Jesus Christ, who is the rock, who saves us from death, and above all things saves us from the punishment our sin deserves. He's the rock cleft for us, and we find refuge and eternal salvation in the clefts of the rock of ages. We come to the third creature, the locust. The church can learn even from locusts. Let's enter into the proverb. The theme is learning from the locusts. 
Let's look first at the army-like creature. And secondly, wisdom for the church militant that can be gleaned from this army-like creature. We've learned from the ant that we've observed crawling around our feet. We've lifted our eyes to the rocky hills around Jerusalem. And we've learned from the conies that we saw scurrying and hiding among the rocks. Now, we lift our eyes to the eastern horizon. As an east wind brushes up against our faces. And on that eastern horizon, riding upon the east wind, we see a large cloud coming closer and closer. A cloud not made up of water vapor, but a giant cloud made up of locusts, a locust swarm. That's what the text is talking about, a locust swarm. What's a locust? What is this creature, billions of which we see, riding towards us on the east wind? Well, a locust is something we've undoubtedly seen, even though we don't have the kind of locusts in our land that are plentiful in the land of Palestine. A locust is basically a grasshopper, very similar. It's a winged insect of three to four inches long, brownish-green in color, with those long hind legs that it can use to hop and to jump. But what's most, most noteworthy about the locust, particularly the desert locusts that you can find in places in Africa as well as in Palestine, is that these locusts, though solitary creatures, under certain conditions and in certain circumstances, congregate in great swarms. Great swarms of these insects that can number billions and billions. And so large can these swarms become that they can stretch for miles and miles. If you like documentaries about the natural world, about God's creation, you can look it up sometime. There are documentaries out there on locusts. And some of those documentaries call the locust swarm one of the most amazing spectacles in nature. It is something astounding to see. It's it's hard for us to fully imagine it because we haven't seen it. What it would be like to witness billions of flying insects coming at you all together as one. That's a locust swarm. And the Bible helps us picture that. That's why we read Exodus 10. Locust swarms are something that happen In creation. But the locust swarm mentioned here in Exodus 10. Was the greatest, the largest, most devastating locust swarm there ever was. It was the eighth plague that God brought on Egypt. And as we read in Exodus 10. There were so many locusts that they covered the ground. You would look down and the ground was black. There were so many insects crawling across the ground. You could not escape them. They came into the house of Pharaoh. They came into the house of his servants. They were in every Egyptian house. You would go outside and you would have locusts on you. They filled the sky. They choked the air. They were everywhere as far as the eyes could see. That was a locust swarm. And those locusts came with one purpose. To feed 
to feed upon plants. And that's what a locust swarm would do. They would come and devour every green thing in sight. The grass, the herbs, the weeds, the tree leaves, the flowers, everything. The, the locust swarm would come and before you know it, it was passed. And what's left behind is nothing but a leafless wasteland. And so in the ancient world, a locust swarm was something terrifying. It was something ancient people dreaded because it was unstoppable. There was nothing you could do and it would often lead to famine. Fields upon fields of crops destroyed within an hour, gone before these voracious insects, terrifying to behold the locust swarm. And that's why in Holy Scripture, the locust swarm is often used as a picture of God's judgment. The locust in Scripture is a herald of God's coming judgment. That was the case with the eighth plague. That was God's judgment on Egypt. It was a manifestation of his punishing wrath upon the Egyptians. There are other places in Scripture that speak of the locust in such a way. For example, Deuteronomy 28 verse 38. In Deuteronomy 28, God warns the children of Israel of the consequences of apostasy from the covenant, forsaking the covenant and turning to other gods. And one of the chastisements that God said he would send upon Israel was a locust swarm. Deuteronomy 28 verse 38, God says, Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. The locust brought the judgment of God. Think of the minor prophets. Perhaps you think of the book of Joel, and rightly so. The historical occasion for Joel's prophecy was an incredible locust swarm that swept through the land of Judah. You can read about that in the first chapter of Joel. And that was God's chastening upon the children of Israel in Judah. We don't know exactly when Joel prophesied. It was likely during the reign of wicked queen Athaliah, or perhaps late in the reign of Joash when he had fallen into sin. And God sent the locusts into Judah. And Joel 2 verse 11 calls the locusts God's army. They were like an army that swept through the land. And nothing could stop them. They crawled into the houses. They devoured the fields. They were the heralds of God's judgment. And so how strange it is. That here in Proverbs 30 verse 27. The word of God would have us study the locust and learn from the locust. This creature, you might say, is worse than the other ones that we have looked at. The ant and the, and the coney might be looked at as pests, but the locusts are a plague. They were dreaded. They were destructive. And yet, the locust is exceeding wise. Agur, it seems, had witnessed a locust swarm before, and that would not be surprising. As mentioned earlier, the locust swarm was a phenomenon that would occur in 
Palestine and was not terribly uncommon. Very likely, Agur had witnessed such a swarm at some point. And Agur is a reflective reader of God's most elegant book. He recognizes that this terrifying locust swarm, this creature that is feared and despised by man, is still a character in God's elegant book of creation, which has something to teach us. And so Agur observes that locust swarm, and he ponders what he observes. And in our text, he writes down, very concisely, two startling observations of the locust. Two seemingly contradictory characteristics that, when considered together, are truly amazing. Those are the two parts of our text. First, the locusts have no king. That's the first observation, or the first characteristic. And then secondly, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. First thing, locusts don't have a king. What that means is they don't have a leader or or a commander directing them. As we watch that cloud of millions of locusts riding the east wind towards us, we can't pick out one of those locusts and say, there's the leader. There's the king locust. There's the commander. There's the one giving the orders. No. There's just a giant mass of locusts coming towards us. The bees have their queen. The lions have their king. Even the conies, as they live in their small family units, they have that alpha male that's in charge of the rest. Not so the locusts. They have no king. But now second, these kingless locusts go forth all of them by bands. Literally, we could translate that expression, they all go out in order, in undivided order. Or to put it another way, they all march forth in rank, in ranks. There's military imagery here. You think of an army that marches in order and in rank. That's the idea here. The locusts are not a chaotic multitude, a chaotic rabble, but there is a certain order to their movements. They are, in a way, according to Agur's inspired observation, there's a certain organization. They are an army-like creature. As he watches that locust swarm come in on the wind, he notices that they move as one. And as one, they accomplish their singular mission of devouring every green thing in sight. But they're not a chaotic rabble as they do it. One rank of locusts comes and lands upon the ground, climbs upon the trees and devours, while another rank of locusts goes in front of the other. When the ones behind are finished, they fly and go in front of the other. And so there is this impression of an orderly advance of rank upon rank of locusts. That's what Agur observes. They move, it seems, as one, like an army on a mission. And now, when you put these two things together, 
you see the exceeding wisdom that God has inscribed upon the nature of the locust. And that's what amazes Agur. They have no king, and yet they march in ranks. That's startling. What army can function without its king or without a general? Perhaps you like history and you think of revolutionary war history, a battlefield in those days, and how wars were fought. You had tight formations of infantry carrying their muskets. You had the cannons set upon the hills to provide artillery support. You had the cavalry that could be used to launch lightning strikes on the enemy's infantry. And to coordinate all of those moving parts, all of those different companies, the different ranks of soldiers, required an immensely organized command structure. You needed the general or the leader of the army, as well as several junior officers, to help move that army as one. Every army in human history has its king, has its general, has its leader, and it can't function without one. But the locusts have none of that. None of that. And they're an army of billions. Yet they move as one. You can see that in the miraculous locust swarm that God brought upon Egypt in Exodus 10. By the hand of God, those locusts came as one. With one mission. And they devoured the land of Egypt. Whatever was left after the plague of hail, they consumed. It's a great swarm without a king that never breaks its rank or its advance. That's the wisdom of the locust. That's what's so very striking about them, this army-like creature. So now, having looked at the army-like creature, and having seen the unique wisdom of God inscribed upon its nature, we're now in a position to learn from the locusts. The locust swarm is a spectacle, a spectacle of nature. But it's here not for us merely to marvel at, but to learn from. Wisdom can be learned. Wisdom for the church militant. Now, with the locust, it's maybe a little harder at first glance to see what wisdom is here for us. That's more clear with the ant and with the coney. But it's here. It's here. The text speaks of the locusts collectively as a swarm. And so, the applications of this text are going to be primarily for the church as a body, together. And very important for the application of this proverb is the military imagery used in the text, the very Hebrew language here, that the locusts go out in bands. They march forth in ranks. That's military imagery. And there's a connecting point with the church, is it not? Because the church is the church militant on earth. That's a theological term we use to describe the church as she lives in the midst of this world. The church, in the midst of this world is not on holiday, not on vacation, but the church in the midst of this world is in a battlefield. She is engaged in intense battle against the kingdom of darkness 
at the head of which stands Satan. She is at war with principalities and powers, the spiritual powers of wickedness in high places. The devil, the world, our own sinful flesh are the enemies marshaled against us. As the church lives in the midst of this world, she is at war. And the members of the church are soldiers marching under the banner of Jesus Christ. Redemption has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the fellowship of God and into the kingdom of His Son. But being a part of the kingdom of Christ means we're soldiers. We're soldiers of the cross. We're soldiers of Jesus Christ who are called to engage in a good warfare for the glory of the Lord who called us to be a soldier. We fight. The good fight of faith. Not with the weapons of the world, but with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Empowered, not by earthly means, but empowered by the Spirit of the living Christ. That's the church's warfare. The church is a church militant. Here, we can start to see how the applications come out. The touch point is not the destructiveness of the locust swarm. Not the fact that the locust swarm was a plague. The church is not a plague. The church is not a destructive power. Though you can say, That with regard to sin and to the devil, the church ought to be destructive. We are called to tear down the strongholds of sin, especially in our lives. But the touch point of application lies especially in those two contrasting characteristics of the locust. Locusts don't have a king, and yet they march forth in ranks. This instructs us and this humbles us. And so let's now see four main lessons in wisdom. Four main lessons for the church militant that we can learn from the locust. We start with this. The locusts as a swarm have an astonishing oneness in their operation. They move as one, and they do what locusts do as one. Eating vegetation. The church is one in Christ. And the calling of the church as the army of Christ is to operate as one in an orderly, organized manner. To do the things that God gives the church to do. Preach the gospel. Shine as a light. All of the work of the church as well as her organic life. To do what God intends the church to do. As one. In unity. The unity of the spirit. In the bond of peace. Grounded upon the truth of God's word. To fight the good fight of faith. Not as independent mercenaries or solo fighters on the battlefield, but as organized companies of Christian soldiers who fight together, who strengthen one another's hands in the battle, who march together under the banner of Jesus Christ. That's our calling. You think of what the scriptures describe the church as, and it makes sense. Several of the main pictures of the church emphasize unity, order, organization, oneness. The church is the body of Christ. One organism with many different parts, 
all of which function together in harmony for the good of the whole. The church as the temple of God, constructed of many different divinely shaped, lively stones that God puts in their proper place. And together those lively stones build up the whole. So it is here. The church is the army of God. Song of Solomon 6 verse 10 refers to the church that way in a poetic, very beautiful poetic way. Song of Solomon 6 verse 10 Here the bridegroom speaks to his beloved Shulamite and he says, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun? Here the bridegroom is a picture of Christ and the beloved Shulamite a picture of the church. is beautiful in the eyes of Christ, his delight, his bride. But then the end of the verse. She is not just clear as the sun, terrible as an army with banners. That's the church. She's an army with banners that marches on the mission of Jesus Christ. And she must march as an organized spiritual battle force. Serving her king, Jesus Christ. We're one. So the exhortation to the church is, live as one. Seek oneness. Work as one. Fight the good fight of faith as one. Not in isolation. Not apart from one another. But as one. Confess our faith together as one in the truth of the gospel. Labor the work of love as one. March in ranks together Each of us a part of the body. Each of us a soldier in this detachment, which is called First PRC of Holland. Each of us doing our duty and doing our part out of love for our king and love for one another. Enduring hardness. Being a soldier is not pleasant business. It's tough. It's hard. It requires self-sacrifice. But that's the Christian life. Marching in ranks, in unity, in the army of Jesus Christ. Fighting the good fight of faith. Together. That's when we are most effective against the powers of darkness, against sin, against Satan. When we as a unit fight together. Strengthen one another. Are there for one another. Speak a word in season to one another. Whether it's admonition. Whether it's comfort. Need that. We're a unit of soldiers in Christ's army. But now there's one big difference between us and the locusts. And here's where there's a contrast. The locusts have no king. We have a king. We have the king. Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. And we have his spirit dwelling in us. He is our head. He is our king. He is our Lord. And he is the perfect king and Lord. His word is the perfect instructions for us on the battlefield. Let us heed our king. And here's where the locusts humble us, do they not? If the locusts have no king, and yet they march forth in ranks, they move as one, and work together as one to do what God created locusts to do, how much more ought we as the church of Jesus Christ 
Live together in unity, in peace. Work together in the causes of the kingdom. Manifest our oneness. They don't have a king. We have the king and his spirit. And that shows us our own weaknesses, does it not? That's one of the things God does with these little creatures is he uses them to expose our sins. Sometimes the little creatures put us to shame. We need Jesus Christ. The locusts show us our need for Jesus Christ. We are sinners who of ourselves break away from each other, sin against one another, want our own way rather than the oneness of the church. We need our captain, Jesus Christ. And that's the wonder of the gospel. The reason we are one is Christ our king. And the oneness that he gives us is oneness that he will perfect. And no earthly strife, no trouble in this world can break apart the oneness that binds together the children of God in one covenant family. The church of Jesus Christ. We're one in Christ. But now, that first Lesson in wisdom of the locusts leads to a second. And the second is really the flip side of the first. Second is this. The wise church, knowing that she is the army of Jesus Christ. The wise church endeavors, therefore, to avoid all infighting within her own ranks. Fight together against the foe, not against each other. The locusts don't go out to devour each other. They go out to devour the grass. The church. Us as a congregation. We focus our applications on us as a congregation. Let us march forth in ranks. To fight the enemy together. Not to fight amongst ourselves. What destroys the effectiveness of an army? Lots of things. It might be infiltrators, spies of the enemy that worm their way into the army. There's many exhortations in scripture that call us to be on guard against dangers from without, false teachers and wolves that would come in to the church. But now, the text points out to us another danger. Another thing that can greatly diminish the effectiveness of an army, even destroy its combat capabilities is if there's fighting amongst the soldiers within their own ranks or there's disagreement so that some soldiers refuse to work with other soldiers or they in pride exalt themselves over others and make foolish decisions and you can think of all other sorts of situations when there's not harmony in the ranks but instead infighting what trouble that can cause So it can be with the church. So it can be with the congregation. Do we go forth by bands? In our church life? School life? In all of life? Do we go forth by bands? That is, do we march forth unified as one in ranks like the locusts? That's the calling of Jesus Christ to his church, and to our congregation. Galatians 5, verse 15. 
But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward one another. Like-minded. One in purpose, in goal, in thinking. Like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the church going forth by bands, going forth in ranks as one. Of course, that doesn't mean that there will never be times in the church or in a local congregation where there's controversy and there must be fighting for the cause of the truth that happens and the church is called to earnestly defend for the or earnestly contend for the faith but nonetheless the calling of the scriptures is that we seek to preserve unity in our midst unity that is rooted in the truth unity oneness are we seeking that with one another let there not be vying for power or personal glory or influence Let there not be divisions, so easily divisions and offenses emerge in our life as a church and those things have their way of just sitting there unresolved and the consequence of them sitting there unresolved is that soldiers who ought to be marching together don't want anything to do with one another or they don't function well together, they can't work together. That's not how it should be. The wisdom of God given us in this proverb is that the church should move and work and live as one. As one. So let's take stock of ourselves. Do we have any unresolved issues with anyone? See Jesus' word in Matthew 5, 23 and 24 that our brother has something against us, or if I have something against my brother, I'm going to consider it so important that it gets resolved that I leave my gift at the altar and I go to my brother. I don't want to tolerate disunity between me and my brother, me and my sister. We need to march together in the church of Christ. Sometimes that means in the church, things don't go our way. It's part of being part of a body. Part of an army. We don't always get our way. Sometimes decisions are made we don't like. Sometimes things happen we don't like. Sometimes one of the most important things a child of God can do in the church is gracefully and graciously not get his own way. Accepting it. And in love for Christ and for the rest of the body going forth Even though he's not getting his way, and his way makes a lot of sense to him. It's the best way in his mind. Yet, he marches forth, not making an issue of it, as one in ranks. Can that be done? Yes. Christ. Go back to our king. Locusts don't have a king. We have a king. Jesus, whose name is Prince of Peace. Jesus, who made peace between us and God. If it was ever impossible to achieve reconciliation, that's where it would be impossible. Between me and God, between you and God, us, 
sinners who have offended the Most High Majesty of God and therefore justly deserve eternal condemnation. That's reconciliation impossible. And yet Christ, through his work on the cross, his kingly work on the cross, has made atonement for our sins, wiped away our guilt, and reconciled us to God. He is the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace who has made peace between us and God makes peace among us so that we're one and we live as one and march in rank, in rank. Third now, church's obedience to Christ as her king should not be something burdensome to her, but something she does gladly and willingly. The locusts don't have a king, and yet they go forth in bands. They're not compelled. They're not forced to move as one. That's striking. Now, the reason is that God has written this behavior upon their locust nature so that they do what they're supposed to do. But you and I aren't hardwired that way. We don't have instinct. We are God's redeemed children. And the kind of obedience and the kind of service that delights God our Father is the free and willing obedience that arises from a heart aflame with the love of God. It's the obedience that arises from the Holy Spirit's work in us sweetly bending our wills into conformity with God's. The point is, like the locusts, we should not have to be compelled to live together And to work together. And to contribute to the life of the body. That shouldn't be something burdensome that we only will do if somebody forces us or pressures us into it. No, this is our life together. We don't need to be compelled. We don't need, as it were, to have Christ cracking the whip over us all the time. We're his friend servants. Love him. We're his soldiers. Not because we've been drafted or conscripted, but because we gladly want to serve him out of thankfulness for his redemption of us from the bondage of the kingdom of darkness. So our obedience is not something forced by sheer power of our king, but is a free obedience of sons. We say it is joy to do thy will. That's how we should view the hardships of being a soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what we should keep in mind when we have to go to that brother or sister in the church that we're at odds with or we have some unresolved issue with and it's uncomfortable going to them. We don't want to. Our human nature chafes at that. Why? Because I love Christ who commands me to go and be reconciled to my brother. And I go because I love him. And I love the brother for his sake. Psalm 110 verse 3. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Let us be that people. Fourth and finally. Church militant can learn from the locusts. In this way too. The locusts are a victorious army, aren't they? Nothing can stop them. That's why they were so fearful as a plague 
A plague of untold destructiveness. But the church is different. There's a contrast here. The church is not a plague. But the church is unstoppable and unconquerable. The church militant, by the power of the spirit of the triumphant Christ, marches forward and never breaks her ranks. And that's true throughout all history, throughout the generations of our race. The church goes from glory to glory, glory, from victory to victory. And even though there are seeming defeats throughout history, those seeming defeats are under the sovereignty of Christ the King, who turns those seeming defeats for the good and ultimate victory of His church. The enemies of the kingdom of Christ are and shall be defeated, and we shall have ultimate victory. Just as the locust swarm marches unstoppably, so too the church marches in her ranks unstoppably throughout history. Due to the king. Due to the king. He's the reason we go forth unconquered and conquering. Because he conquered. He crushed the head of the serpent. He died on the cross and there vanquished the spiritual power of sin. There on the cross, He took away the destroying wrath of the Holy God that should have otherwise burned against us. He has conquered. He has obtained the complete victory. And now, as Christ's church An army with banners, we march from victory to victory under the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. All things are under our King's sovereign power. All things work together for our good and salvation. All things are governed by Him for the coming Of his kingdom. And that's our comfort. And that should encourage us to. To implement the lessons of wisdom. That we learn from the locust. That we as a congregation. Go forth boldly in rank. Fighting the good fight of faith together. It's a war. We cannot lose. And nothing. Can ever break. The church's ranks. Church goes forth not to destroy, but to preach the gospel for the salvation of God's people. She goes forth to shine light. She is never conquered. Till at last, the mission is accomplished. The last of God's elect gathered. And the king at last comes. To put an end. To all of the plagues of sin, Satan, all the ravages of evil, all of the desolation that the devil has wrought and that human sin has wrought. To put it all to an end and to gather his church about his throne where we and the entire assembly of the church of the firstborn is one great chorus louder than even the greatest locust swarm upon the wind will sing. Blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto 
the Lamb forever. There in the new creation, there will be no more desolation, no more death. We will rejoice our King in the victory He has won for us. Amen. Heavenly Father, grant that we may learn the lessons of the locusts, that even these little creatures may instruct us as to how we are to live in the church. Give us unity. Keep far from us all infighting and strife. Grant that we may be reconciled to our brothers if we are at odds with them. Cause that we may march forth from victory to victory under the banner of the cross. Looking ever to the coming of our King. Clouds of glory. Hear us in mercy for Jesus' sake. Amen.